Hi there. Welcome to Shrink Chat. This is the companion show to our main podcast, Terror Talk. My name is Shannon, and I'm joined every week by my friend, Kathy. On this show, we talk about psychology and media and whatever else comes up. It's a bit looser. So hang out and welcome to Shrink Chat. Hello, welcome to Shrink Chat. This is Shannon and Kathy. <laughs> I obviously have a sickness. Yeah, you sound pretty sick. Thanks. Appreciate You're welcome. That. Yeah. Do you feel that sick? No, I don't feel that sick. I'm on antibiotics. Um, Good, because I don't want the plague. No, there's no plague. No plague. Good. I'm on antibiotics, and um, yeah, you know. If I start to have a coughing fit, I will mute my mic and you can do a rendition of something. I'll sing over it. Just keep singing. Okay. <laughs> Just keep swimming. So today is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, happy, Kathy. Happy Valentine's Day, Shannon. I mean, why not? Why? <laughs> why not? I actually almost brought you a little, a little Snoopy George. with a Stover, Stover's candy. Oh, uh, well, hope springs eternal. Maybe next year. It was the thought that counts. Maybe next year I'll be your Valentine and I can get some chocolate. If you're lucky. Yeah, if I'm very, very lucky. So trivia, yes? We yeah. Have trivia? We have some trivia. I want to go through... From January 17th through today, we have some winners. Okay, cool. So starting with January 17th, Bob Lovin' Dog, mm-hmm. great job with the Rosemary's Baby answer. Nice. Um, we have January 24th, which was our saw question. Mm. Tim N. from Minnesota, who wrote in. Nice. Thank you, Tim. Great work. <laughs> uh, January 31st, The Silence of the Lambs. Bob Love and Dog again. Sweet. Yep, she's getting up there. And then we have the Friday the 13th uh, question, which I'm about to answer, um, answered by Horror Buff. Great, oh, perfect. great job. So let me go ahead and read that question again. Yes, please. Let me find it. Okay, so this was um, posted on our summer camp episode i mean uh excuse me post from june 20th the Mm. instagram post the question was what was the original title for the first friday the 13th movie and what is the name of the actual camp where it was filmed it was a a double dip (laughs) um as they have been lately so this was the original name of the movie long night at camp blood Okay, that's a lot of words. A lot of words and not enticing. Like I know it, it sounds like even more of a B movie than it, it was. It sounds like an A movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or a C movie. G minus, G yeah. minus, not A. Um, and then the name of the camp is Nobi Bosco. Oh Lord! And it's still there. Oh, so 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 that's it. I wonder if campers still camp. I they do. I think. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> um, Shall we go? <laughs> yeah, let's check it out. Yeah. Which we still have to do our 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 room, our escape room. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. Okay. Hey. Trivia. Right. You're all right. <laughs> I think so. It's a the trivia has trivia. exhausted you. <laughs> well, our listeners know we record this in chunks. And so we, there's a lot of organization around what we have and have not said. It's true. Often I look at Kathy and go, so do you know what day you're on? What day are we on? Which one? Did I what already day? say this? Yeah. Okay. So the trivia for today, you are going to go to the My Bloody Valentine post on nice. Instagram. January 30th is when it was posted. 
Just okay. to orient you a little bit. Mm, thank you very much. Which director deems My Bloody Valentine as his or her famous slasher movie? I know the answer to this, but I, I will not say I, it. I knew you would. <laughs> so one more time, which director deems My Bloody Valentine as his or her famous slasher movie? Cool. There you go. Right on. People will know this. Maybe people will know it without looking it up. <laughs> Actually, it'd be kind of fun to just see people guess without looking it up. I, I mean, know. you can kind of figure it out if you think hard. Yep. It's pretty obvious. Kind of. It's pretty obvious to me, but maybe just because I know the answer. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, people that aren't into this shit is not going to. Well, hopefully the, so much. those people who aren't into this shit aren't listening to that well, shit. Well, I would love for new people to listen. I'm and just then kidding. This is not even get our into horror. it. It's not even our horror show. Calm down. <laughs> I know. We have a lot of non-horror listeners on today's show. And that's yeah, great. and speaking of which... You have a mental health thing you wanted to talk about? It, well, it's, it's work-related. Oh, okay. Um, it's a case that I've been working on, but I just thought uh, we talk a lot about, um, well, we talk a lot about narcissism on this show, and sure. we talk a lot about social justice on this show. Yeah, and, last week um, we talked about narcissistic mothers. Yeah, so ironically, we're kind of in the same boat with that. Okay. So I picked up this case um from a referral of someone I, I knew with a lot of credibility who asked me to take this case on without having all of the information. And I I was saying to a student of mine the other day who I was talking to about this case, I said, if, if she were to come up to me and ask me if she should take the case, I would have told her absolutely not because it was a huge risk um, in me taking this case simply because the way the judicial system works around understanding narcissism yeah. and how it works in, in, in the family dynamic and more specifically how covert narcissism is often unidentified. And so when I took, it's a, it's a parental alienation case and it's been very, very emotionally attached to this case. And I think it's the first case I've ever felt this emotionally attached to my client is the child in the middle of everything. And, um, when this case came to me, I, I, it was, I had to do somewhat of a, a crisis assessment because there was a threat of him being removed from his home into foster care. Um, and the court will say family court goes, well, not all kids who go to foster care are traumatized. However, it's much more complicated, which I'm not going to go into, but I understood that when I took this case and I wrote the evaluation, which overturned, um, what the decision was mm. clearly the opposing side lost their mind because they said, how could Dr. Barrett make this kind of a bold statement without having all of the documentation? And I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. um, I knew from listening to enough of it and getting the information from the previous clinician and my client through interviewing that this was likely a false alienation um, that had been filed. Okay. And so, um, and this is what I'm kind of, they want me off the case because I have a lot that I can expose regarding the, the mother who actually filed the alienation, I actually believe is covertly narcissistic. Okay. And so this was a big risk I took because how do you prove that? Yeah. Right. Very rarely. Very rarely. So I said to, um, some of the people I'm working with on the case said, just trust me that it will unravel because that is what they do. Yeah. They self-select often. So, um, I, I 
I feel that the, the false allegations were a way of her sort of controlling the narrative and the court believed it and um, yeah. essentially said, dad is the alienator and this is why. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I went into this field clearly because I, I love mental health, but I also feel if you don't challenge the rules of organization, you risk the evo- uh, you risk the evolution of a field and risk the perpetuation of trauma. So I knew that I was walking into this situation going, um, I may not have a lot of credibility and it may actually jeopardize my reputation as a forensic expert. So they couldn't, they couldn't get me off. They tried to disqualify me, which didn't work. Um, so I'm still on the case, but I guess what I wanted to really bring up was the idea that, um, parental alienation is a really, really tricky, um, charge because, a lot of the reason why a child might, a lot of the reasons why a child might react a certain way to an alleged alienated, alienating parent is because the other parent was abusive. Right. <laughs> and so to make a really long story short, these types of allegations are incredibly controversial because you have, the court has to pick a side. I didn't choose the side of the person who, is stating they were alienated. I actually chose the other side and believe that side. And we're starting to see now that this stuff is starting to unravel and um, mom's mask is dropping. And so it's incredibly rewarding to watch something that was a huge risk sort of unfold. Mm -hmm. And this child being able to get his needs met and they put a new social work. There's so much corruption in this case, Shannon. I can't even tell you how being in in the court system and having to fight for something without the evidence, but knowing because you know mental health and you know how people work, it was it's it's complicated when you're when you're forging complicated ground in yeah. a black and white system. I mean right. the courts are black and white for a reason right. and and we're in a human science and a nuanced thing. And right. I know that forensic um forensic evaluation and and testimony is has to ride a line between black and white and has to be more black and white than the general psychological yeah, field just by nature right. of the working in the law. I did want to back up just a second and talk about parental alienation just for those who might not yeah, know. Sure. Um, f- my knowledge is that it describes a process where um, a child becomes estranged from a parent as the result of the psychological manipulation of, the of other. another parent. That's right. And so I just want people to Yeah, no, thank you is. for clarifying so, that. So, so the yeah. mom was say, mom is sort of saying in this um, situation that the the dad was the one manipulating. Right, and the court found him guilty. Mm-hmm. However, I was able to look at what we call the 730 evaluation, which they have not yet let me speak to because I have a lot of issues. Um, the seven thirty evaluation is what Kathy fa- has issues <laughs> is what found him guilty of alienation. And I went through sort of with a fine tooth comb and realized that they were utilizing things like the MMPI, which should not be used in child custody litigant cases. And I've had trainings from, uh, Ben Porath who created the MMPI. And although they say it's normed on everyone, it's, it's not normed on everyone. And so this is the stuff that they're not allowing me to bring in, which is very frustrating, um, which, uh, really speaks a lot to how corrupt mm-hmm. this whole situation is because there's a lot in that 730 report that I would deem as either 
untrue or inconclusive. And that's the report they're using to make him the alienator. I mean, I hate to say this, but maybe it's excellent lawyering on the other side. No, it to, is. To get and, like, yeah, to not this, have this, that come in because that would blow it apart. It would. And this yeah. attorney also is incredibly narcissistic and, and he, he has and good a whole, at his job. Maybe, he, I maybe. Don't know. <laughs> yeah. He, he got yelled at a handful of times when, you know, went on this case, but, but anyway, it's just a really interesting mm-hmm. diet. I think the reason I'm bringing it in is because there's so much about mental health that doesn't fit in the court system due to the black and white versus the Absolutely. gray. And so, um, yeah, this is, I've been on this case for a couple months and it's still going. And as hard as they've tried to get me out as the treating clinician, the court has already said, nope, she's on it. Yeah. And, uh, he's pretty pissed on it goes. Yeah. I imagine that's tough for you. It's really tough because there aren't any laws that are specifically around narcissistic abuse. There's emotional abuse, but people don't understand all the in and out of narcissism. They look at it as this grandiose, overt disorder, and it it isn't always. Yeah, it's very difficult to, um, unless you parade, you know, 100 people that have been the victims of it, and then hear all the commonalities and all of that, it would be very difficult to uh, for the courts to, I don't know, accept it. Yeah, and so, like I said, though, what I promised the other side was just, just sit back, you play by the rules, and you watch this unravel. Oh, yeah, and it'll it's, totally unravel. And it's happening. Yeah, they self-select. Almost they always. Do. Always. Like 99.9% of the time. So, well, I hope it continues to... I'll keep you posted. I hope it doesn't kill you. (laughs) There's that. Uh, So I watched, um, in honor of Valentine's Day, I watched My Bloody Valentine. It's a good one. Yeah. 1981 Canadian slasher film, which I notice your um, introduction to horror from (laughs) is a Canadian slasher film. Mm -hmm. Happy birthday to me that we've talked about. Yeah. Long, long ago. They're pretty gruesome. The Canadians are pretty gruesome, too. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoy this movie. I I recommend it as a, you know, if you don't mind 1981, if you don't mind slasher movies. I think the villain's um, scary in this one, too. It's pretty good. I mean, it's it got... Yeah, it's got a lot of the 1980s slash 19... No pun intended, slash 1970s... Um, kind of vibe to it you know the pov of the killer you know you've always got the like camera with the pov of the killer and he's got a darth vader type of vibe to him breathing in his gas mask so <laughs> there's that i i really liked it, it it's, did you ever see the remake got the overacting um i don't think i've wanted no it, it actually wasn't bad okay yeah it, it wasn't bad 2009 is like a 3d one right yeah but it, I, I thought it would be you know like we've talked about the black christmas how the new one was yeah. so bad this yeah. one this one actually wasn't wasn't bad all right but well the original I'll watch that for next week <laughs> original is scary yeah you never know um it a lot of it takes place in a in a mine shaft so mm-hmm. there's that there's um i think it's interesting because there's a, a legend that happens in the movie and there's also a song. <laughs> I'm not going to play the song, but I was listening to it beforehand. Please play the song. Okay. I'll play a little bit of the song. It's called the ballad of Harry warden. So let me just back up and say, so there's this legend, the legend behind my bloody Valentine is this. 
And in the movie, I think it's told by like the bartender, the freaky bartender that's like telling all the 1980s kids, don't go into the mine shaft, you know, don't have the Valentine's Day party or you're yeah. all going to die. You're all going to die, especially because if you're not virgins. And all yeah. the like, you know, <laughs> 1980s kids are like, screw you, man. Yeah. We're going to go. We're going to have a party. Um, it was the night of the Valentine's Day dance at the Union Hall, the biggest event of the year. It's been a tradition for over 100 years. Everybody was there except for seven miners who were out at the Hanager Mine, five of them still down below. Two supervisors were waiting for the men to come up. Anxious to get to the party, they left before the men were safely out. Failing to check the methane gas levels in the tunnels down below, the five men were buried alive as the town continued its party. For six weeks, we dug around the clock to, to try to save them. After we broke through, one man was found alive. I was the one who found him. This is the guy telling the story. Yeah. I guess this bartender guy. Harry Warden spent the next year in the state mental hospital. Exactly one year later on Valentine's Day, he came back to town. He killed the two supervisors who had left their posts the year before. Then he cut out their hearts and stuffed them into heart-shaped candy boxes. That night at the dance, we found the boxes, blood dripping out the sides. Inside was a note, a warning from Harry, never to hold a Valentine's dance ever again. Every February 14th, Harry comes back to town, his pickaxe stained with blood, waiting in the shadows of the Hanager mine just for someone to kill should they not heed the warning? And the warning, of course, is don't have a Valentine's Day party. So that's like the setup of the whole movie is yeah. that they're going to have this Valentine's Day party. And the town goes, no, no. And they cancel the party. And then, of course, they have the party in secret. And yeah. then, then they die. die. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. Here's this um, piece of this song. Whoops. Hold on. Begin. Every woman and man <laughs> would always remember the time. And those who remained were never the same. You could see the fear in their eyes. So it's like that. Yeah. That is, it's very the ballad like, of folky. Harry Warden. Yeah. yeah. And Harry Warden is the bad guy. And yeah. Yeah. He's got a song. He's got a, there's a his. I mean, it's a thing. It's a, it's a thing. I love this movie. So also I um, am back from Sundance Film Festival. I was going to ask you how that was. Which is where I feel I like I haven't seen you in like a, yeah, you did have the croup. <laughs> no, I don't. I haven't seen you in like a year. I know. It lasts forever. Yeah. It does feel like I've been gone forever. Um, but yeah, Sundance was great, as always. I uh, I saw, they have a midnight section, as I mentioned before, which has horror movies in it, and I watched several of them. And I wanted to mention, um, I'll mention a few over the coming weeks, but one I want to mention today is was, I guess, my favorite, which is called, it's called Relic. Um and uh, what do I want to say about Relic? <laughs> it was really good. Emily Mortimer, do you know? Yeah, I love Emily? her. Yeah, yeah, so she's the um, she's the mom. There's a grandma, a mom, and a daughter. Uh, Bella Heath, Heathcote, I think is the way it's pronounced, is the daughter. And then the grandmother's Robin Nevin, who is crazy, creepy, scary. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like remote country home, you know, yeah. where grandma who's almost 80 or 80 or so lives and it's a haunted house movie. And I love that. You know, I love that. Yeah. It's um, one of my very favorites. The performances are great. Um, the actors were there. So they spoke after the movie. 
and it was it's always really strange when you see someone in a movie who scares the crap out of you, mm-hmm. which this grandma definitely did. Mm-hmm. And then she's standing there as the actress all you know, clean and chipper yeah. and groomed, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> smiling, and you're yeah. just like, you are crazy. Creepy. I was like, uh, Marianne, the the show, yeah, we watching. Yes, I yes. always wonder what that old woman is like, like outside of that, yeah, show. like this normal yeah. lady, yeah. probably. <laughs> um, yeah, it was what I would say is I thought it succeeded on so many levels, and I'm looking forward to having it come out and in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what its trajectory is or who bought it or what's going to happen, but mm-hmm. it was certainly, I think it was certainly popular. I, and it's, uh, it's got all of the horror movie things that you want. You're scared, you're nervous, mm-hmm. you're not exactly sure what's going to happen. And then it's got some Sundance thrown in is there it, is it, at the um, end with like metaphor and present day, or is it a time period piece? Or? Um, I think it could be any time. I it didn't. It wasn't a period piece okay. that I could tell. Sometimes with the haunted houses, they'll do that. But no, understand, understandable. No, it's like intergenerational. Okay. It's got the old lady trope to oh, it. Oh, nice. But she's really amazing. Okay. Um, the performances are really amazing, and like I said, it's got a Sundance uh, twist to it in that it's um, creepy but there's metaphor there kind of in the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it goes off maybe, you know, regular audiences will be like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. But I think that there's enough traditional horror movie there that you can, you can stick with them okay. through the, the, when will people be able to see it? I have no idea. Okay. I mean, I don't know if it was, bought or not i'm sure it was it's, it's got not, it very sounds famous. familiar but that i feel like there's been other movies called relic i don't know oh there have there definitely yeah. have this is this is you know there was the relic and all yeah. of that this is just relic and it's got a hereditary babadook kind yeah, of yeah. feel you know those oh, babadook this, is still one of the scariest the, like female fronted mm-hmm. or um psychological breakdown it's a it's a it's like a manifestation of dementia Okay. It's like the older woman has dementia, but the dementia is personified in this horror. Got it. And um, I don't know, really liked it. Thought it was really tightly done. All right. So I'm looking forward to that. It's an Australian. Yeah, I'd like I to see it. it's an Australian movie. The movie's Australian. Yeah, it's good. What have you been watching? I've been watching a lot of shows that have come back since the holiday, um, what do you call it? Break, I guess. <laughs> That's not the word I'm looking for. Okay. <laughs> what do they call it when they, there's a word for it in the, in the industry when they take a hiatus. Hiatus. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I'm back watching a million little things, mm. which is really great. I don't know if I'm as, as in love with this season as last season, but it's still really a good show. And then I just started watching honey boy. I've seen that. I'm about halfway through and I had to stop because it's so damn heavy. Oh, okay. I mean, and I know it's based on his life, mm-hmm. Shia about like loosely based on yes. you know, his experiences, yep. which explains a lot. I know that he had, um, you know, stage parents and, and things mm-hmm. like that. I think he's closer with his mom, mm-hmm. is my understanding. I don't, so I don't know how much is based on truth and how much is just like um, related to what, but I know that he directed it and he, and, and it, I'm enjoying it so far. It's just really, really heavy. And I've had a really heavy week with, 
clients and cases and things that sometimes it's hard to get all the way through that. This is a little too much reality sometimes, but it's incredibly well done. What did you think of it? I, his performance is excellent. Yeah. Uh, he, I thought it was, it's a really interesting thing because whatever, um, memoiristic pieces of it are him as a boy. He's the boy in it. Yeah. And he plays his own father or yeah. he plays the father character. And so I just think that's fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would look him in the eye and say, man, how, you know, what an incredible psychological task to yes. put yourself into. And again, I'm, I'm speaking out of turn. I don't really know what's real and what's not right. in his real life, but from the outside, it's like to put yourself basically in your abuser's um, shoes mm -hmm. and play them, portray it so empathetically and so broken um, and so um, just so deeply. Like it's just well I, I done. I know he's done a ton of work. Yes. Um, so I would imagine that this was very reparative for him. I'm guessing. So maybe go back and. I would imagine for a long time he wasn't that em empathetic no. and that's some of the work, right? Was mm -hmm. being able to not necessarily forgive, but to understand in order to move on, um, you know, wh whether he's forgiven or not, that's, that's his, yeah, that's, that's, that's for him to know, but more so a lot of times when we work with clients, the closure comes in. If I understand this, I don't have to necessarily forgive it or be okay with it, but I can move on from it. Mm -hmm. And so, I haven't finished it yet because, like I said, it's really heavy, but it, um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of acting is is a psychological task. It is, It can be if you choose to look at it that way and use it as that. Yeah. It can absolutely be uh, healing, just like writing can yeah. be, you know, writing your own story, um, memoir, that is, you know, reimagining as we've talked, as I've specifically talked about in the past, you know, reimagining something. And, and I imagine that he reimagined his relationship there mm -hmm. by putting himself so solidly in someone else's shoes. And maybe rewriting some of it for that closure too. Like we we talk about trauma and people working through that and rewriting the narrative and how they need to remember it in order to heal too. So yeah, fiction is a great way to yeah. do that. I mean, yeah. most writers will talk about, you know, this is an autobiographical, but I'm in it, mm -hmm. you know, myself, my experiences, my emotions are in it. And that's why successful literature can be so, uh, connected to all of us because yep. we can relate on so many different levels because it's humanity. Yep. So yeah, yeah. there's definitely some, some darker humanity in that. Um, but you haven't gotten to the end. So, yeah. So that's it. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of work lately, so I haven't had, a, usually I've been watching like really dumb sitcoms and stuff <laughs> just to, to yep. come down from the intensity of everything. Well, and you've been traveling too. I mean, I've been traveling You've too. You've been traveling, and so yeah. I, um, I'm like, I have been? Where? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> In my head. I was thinking about you, and then I was thinking about me, and it all kind of came together. I've been traveling, and obviously I got a little ill, um, but I also spent all this time like watching movies and in the snow, yeah. and it's just very... So I'm really just kind of having re-entry yeah. sickness. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to work... Um, which is nice. It's a relief. Yeah. Get back to work. Do the, do the routine. Get go back, back to it. the, go back. I'm get trying to get out it. of that right now. I need, I I'm leaving soon. I know. Yeah. 
So we're we're switching places. We are. Which is good because I'm I'm like, ah, let me just yeah. land for a minute and get back into the routine and you know, I haven't even done my laundry, you know. I'm like I'm like screaming to get out of my routine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to catch up. Um yeah. that's our show, I believe. This is Shrink Chat. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shrink Chat. If you enjoy what we do here, there are two things you could consider. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media and checking out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or our Facebook page. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.